everything we know about the media, marketing, and advertising business is being completely upended thanks to technology and data. We're talking with some of the top industry leaders as they steer their companies through constant change. Welcome to Next in Marketing, presented by AppsFlyer. Hey guys, this is Mike Shields, and this week on Next in Marketing, I spoke to Jack Davis, co-founder of the horror content startup Crypt TV, just in time for Halloween. We talked about how Crypt got the attention of famed producer Jason Blum of Blumhouse, the folks behind Get Out, by making six-second scary videos for Vine back in the day. We also talked about how his company has built an audience for original scripted content in both YouTube and Facebook, and how Crypt is able to balance its revenue model between advertising and selling shows to streaming platforms like Netflix. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Next in Marketing. I've got a really special guest this week. Uh, it's sort of a special Halloween ep- episode, Jack Davis, who's the founder of Crypt TV. Hey, Jack. How's it going, Mike? Good to see you. We uh, we have not talked in a while. This used to be an annual tradition. We talk around this time of year, but I'm excited to reconnect. It was an annual tradition, and it's back. It's so back. That's all that matters. Perfectly timed for the season. We're starting a new streak. Yeah. I feel like I see you, though, on, on Twitter with uh, your, a lot of your Dodger anxiety, your hairline anxiety. So I feel like we're connected, but I'm glad that we're, we're here today. You know, uh, I don't want to speak too confidently, but I don't think I'll ever get canceled on Twitter because the only thing I do on Twitter is, self, is self-deprecate. So, no, you, you know, you hurt only yourself. That's I'm true. telling everyone what I'm already, my flaws are on Twitter. I'm not trying to conceal them. I'm being very open about them. No, you're helping people of anything. I feel like, yeah. But anyway. Um, so I, I've known you, you known you for a while here. I don't know if everybody knows crypt TV, but, um, give me your, your origin story, how you got into this business. And then maybe let's talk about the company. Crypt is like Marvel for monsters. Marvel started, building iconic superheroes in the comic book because that's where young people were digesting their content. And of course, Marvel's turned into the most culturally relevant brand in America, perhaps, and TV shows and movies and theme parks and t-shirts. That's what Crypt wants to do, but we do it with monsters. And we start building our monsters on YouTube because there's obviously a huge young audience there really digesting and falling in love with IP and Instagram and Facebook. And yes, we've done some TikToks. So we create monster IP, to try and be the leader of scary for Gen Z. And then we've turned our monster IP into TV shows and t-shirts and in non COVID times at live events and theme parks. So long way to go to be Marvel, but that's sort of the vision. And the reason we start on the internet versus the comic book is because the ability to reach young people who hopefully fall in love with these characters forever in the millions. The Marvel framing is really helpful. I think for people to understand who, your company who, who but like let's uh, go back to when okay you when do you when do you have this idea what are you doing how does it become something so i started crypt you're like 11 or something than, yeah well i had hair when i started it <laughs> so i could probably get away with different age age ranges but i started crypt less than a year after i graduated college and the real inspiration was i'm from los angeles i moved elsewhere for college came back to la And I had seen that the industry, in my opinion, hadn't really recognized the gravity of the trend towards a younger consumer consuming content on their phone to consuming YouTube or Instagram as endemic entertainment versus just a marketing channel. So I was like, wow, this is really a way young people are consuming content and no one's doing it for scary. And scary, having just grown up in the entertainment business, is a huge genre. And, you know, it's kind of become very fancy lately. I'm very grateful for the Jordan Peels and Jason Blums of the world who've helped 
bring scary to prominence in a critical sense, but it's always been there in an audience sense in a box office sense. That was, that has always been true even when it's been less fancy. So I was like, there's a real lane to kind of own this young consumer for this genre via these platforms. And I think I just saw that lane because entertainment can be very a bubble. And it's funny living here. Now you have to kind of remind yourself not to get too lost in the bubble. But I spent four years in North Carolina going to college where you really saw that, the big changes in consumer behavior weren't being talked about in Los Angeles. So, okay, the, w- w- this is when around. Uh, I was in college, 2010 to 2014. So, fall 2010 to May 2014, and Crypt officially launched April 2015. So, just under okay. a year after I graduated. So I'm surely I'm uh, Hollywood. I'm sure is at that time grasping that people are using social media for to communicate, and it's and it's UGC, or they think of it as UGC or creators, I guess. But they're not I think, thinking I about think yes and, so I think yes and no. I think yes and no. I think yes, people realize it, but it's normal. I mean, this is ultimate, you know, Clayton Christensen innovator's dilemma. It's normal for people to only prioritize the thing that's making the most amount of money that also is what got them to where they sure. are today, right? So I think that what gave us white space in the beginning, and obviously we have incredible investors who saw that vision early, and some of them are in the entertainment space, like Blumhouse, who's a fantastic company and investor in NBC Universal. So they invest in it, they saw it, they deserve credit. But I just think even still, people don't necessarily recognize the gravitas of how to, the gravitas of the internet and what it can be used as in a powerful tool. And obviously, there's a difference between us building endemic content with an internet fan base. Than Netflix, but even in 2014, 2015, when I moved back, the focus on streamers and SVODs wasn't as high. I mean, you know, the truth is cable TV and network TV is still a really good business. I think that now everyone acknowledges the paid TV decline and it's so obvious. Um, but back then, you know, it's, it's, it, 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 you, you can forget how things change in six or seven years and how different the attitude was. Okay. So you're, you're getting out of college. You're seeing that your peers are consuming content differently. They're probably hungry for stuff that is created mm-hmm. for them, but no one's doing scary. Are you? Are you thinking? Well, I can just I can repur- You know, I can find some classic horror creators and make some stuff. Are there are there YouTubers who are making scary stuff on their own? Yeah, we started by just like making like very short stuff. You know, start simple, walk before you can run. The company started by making fifteen second scares and six second oh, six second scares. See, I forget my own origin story now. It's been so long. We started making six second scares. We did this Vine contest and. October 2014. This was like the test that launched the company. Talk about a flashback of a Vine test, and it blew up. And we just had people making kind of mainly silly videos, but some scary videos. And that just really proved our thesis that scary could work on mobile. And we did this Halloween contest, and that's how I met Jason Blum, who ended up becoming our first investor. But once we actually formalized the company and launched for real in April 2015, we were making like 30-second, one-minute videos, right? So these are all... Set up, pay off, jump scare, really simple. So we really spent two years just trying to make, you know, one minute videos, then two minute videos and three minute videos before we started building the IP. It wasn't really until we raised our, we raised, we called it a seed two, $3.5 million in financing and brought in Lair Hippo and advanced at NBC Universal. It wasn't until then that we started 
making IP and making higher quality content. Those first two years is kind of, I think the truth is for a lot of internet creators, you're just have so little money. You're trying to just do the bare bones thing and figure out on the most simple level what works. Yeah, and I mean, I imagine you can't make a whole like universe of characters with just six second videos or that's not, that would be incredible. Only one or yeah. two characters were created from the first two years. Cause at the time the goal wasn't to create characters. It was like, just, can we make something good enough that people will watch it and click on it and build an audience? And you know, we were lucky that the white space of a digital brand that does scary was so open because it allowed us to experiment and make mistakes. You know, you do comedy on the internet, even in 2015, 2016, there's so many good sketch artists. There's so many good comedy folks that if you're not good, like you're just, you know, there's a lot of better options out there. We really were able to use the fact that we were the only person focused on this lane to take the time to be able to work through mistakes, make creative mistakes. And look, we still make creative mistakes. Creative is very hard. But, it, you know, the first two years, you know, you're asking are were mainly experimentation more than anything. And else. were you at the time, were you, did you have a job or were you like, were you kind of like kind of screwing around? No, we, we raised a little seat. So October 2014, when we're testing it, I don't have a job. I'm living with my parents. April 2015, when the company officially launches, Blumhouse made a seed investment. So we had you know, a little seed investment. It was my job. We were able to hire two employees and make some videos and grow. Um, but, you know, it was my job, but, it, you know, it, we were in an office, three people the size of a closet, and you're really begging and borrowing and dealing, and you're asking for favors for people to make stuff, you know. You know, there's no capital expenditures line on the company's budget. So it was a job. We did have a little seed funding, but uh, there's a scrappiness to it that you get nostalgic for, but probably don't want to do again. So, and, and Jason Blum finds you through the Vine thing? How did that happen? He found us through the Vine thing, Six Second Scare. You know, my co-founder in this company is Eli right. Roth, who's a genre director, writer, producer, actor, whole thing. So he was really helpful. Um, I mean, he's the co-founder. He's obviously really helpful, but he was really helpful in the Six Second Scare he was having dinner with Blum in Charleston, South Carolina, as I understand it. I, I wasn't there, but I, I, I believe they were in Charleston. And Eli said, hey, Jason, look at this thing I'm doing. And, you know, Jason's a complete visionary, as we've seen in his, his film and TV business. And he saw it and said, well, let me meet with them. And then as the six-second scare contest was concluding around Halloween 2014, uh, I met with him and we hit it off. And then they invested in the company just a few months later. And for, I think people, lots of people know Eli Roth, but he's the guy who uh, he's directed stuff like Hostel and he was in, in Inglorious Bastards. He was Bastards. the Bear Jew in Glorious right. Bastards. You know, he's recently kind of done some really great stuff outside the genre or more kids genre of scary. He did House with a Clock on Its Walls. Yes, my, my kids uh, love that movie. Yeah, so that that that's like, you know, so he, he's, but you know, he's obviously got a huge genre fan base and was a really great instincts in helping start the company. All right, so you start to you do the six second scares. You get some investment. You're you're starting to. Uh, we're going to try to make a business out of this. Are you primarily on YouTube at that time? Are you on Facebook? No, at that time it was basically all Facebook because there was white space. You know, April 2015, Facebook's trying to build an audience around video. Yeah, you forget that. that they and didn't really have a big video business at one point. I know it's crazy to think about. That's why when I think about business, Mike, I think about and this tries to give you hope as you build your company. You overestimate what you can do in a year, the famous quote, but you underestimate what's going to happen in five years or 10 years, right? You know, now Facebook video is obviously huge and there's been many uh, words spilled on Facebook video. But in April 2015, it was like, hey, we're doing video for the first time. Like what? And the reason we, we were lucky that the company was launching around the time Facebook was prioritizing video whatsoever 
because you know when you're a small company you just don't we didn't have the resources i felt like to compete on youtube i'm like let me go over here where no one else is because then i have a chance and it it worked out really well and we built a real audience on facebook and you know i know some people throw shade on on facebook audiences which i understand but for us we've seen a real audience and i think the proof is in that we have converted that audience to youtube or to t-shirts or to to other things and have a big youtube audience as well and now you know you're cross-platform but in those early days it was really a basically a complete focus on facebook and facebook has really incredible interest targeting tools and you know being able to kind of cattle call the people who liked this genre who weren't getting original content in the genre through other digital means means was really useful but so correct me if i'm wrong at that time Facebook video was primarily you had to grab people in the news feed and and get them to stop. It wasn't like they had Facebook. I don't think they had Watch. No, Watch was not watch or IGTV or any of that stuff. So you were you were making no. stuff that was for the feed. Yeah. Yeah. So does that at that point are you able to try and make characters and IP? Or are you still trying to just do the scare grabbing? People? Well, the first two years was just grabbing yeah. people's attention. We still have a big Facebook audience. We obviously have a slate of shows with them, and they still do really well. We love Facebook and love them as a partner. I do think that. Uh, even when we started making characters and monsters, and which is kind of 2017, 2018, that visceral image in the feed matters. But that's not just a Facebook thing, right? I mean, YouTube thumbnails, Instagram thumbnails. By the way, I always try to study the success of the mass singer, right? This idea that a crazy, insane visual image is something that only applies to the internet is not true, right? You need to grab people's attention. We spend a lot of time thinking about the feed and thinking about algorithms because they've come to dominate our lives in some extent. But again, you only need to look to one of the most successful non-scripted broadcast shows that's kind of defied the odds in Mass Singer to know like a big crazy contraption of a, you know, thing, a, a visual really hooks people. Right. Okay, so you're you're starting to resonate. You're starting to figure out that audience, but then when do you start saying, okay, you know, maybe we should start building a universe of characters? I'm not I'm not saying they're all connected. Maybe they are. It but. wasn't until April 2017. We had just finished raising this little three and a half million dollar round from Lair Hippo Advance and NBCU, who I have to shout out because they're great partners. And you know, we kind of just was a you know, you raise a little bit of money. You feel like, oh my gosh, we actually have something in the bank now. We don't have to just be flying by the seat of our pants. What's really working? And how do we also take what's working and build it into an actual business case, right? Because, you know, those first two years was really just no one's doing scary for this age range, for this type of consumer. And there was not really a business like case. Proving the business. concept, was, proving the viewership out. Yeah, we proved the con Okay, well, now we got to build a business case. We got to build short term actual PL value, and you're trying to build long term enterprise value. And then we really saw that, hey, all the stuff that's doing the best is monsters. It's this big visceral image. It's working in the feed. You can actually imbue story with it. You can actually imbue mythology. And we had created one monster before this time, The Birch, which ended up being our biggest hit that's now on its second season on Facebook Watch. We haven't released the second season yet, but we are uh, uh, filming the second season. And we're like, wow, look at how well this thing did. But maybe it just wasn't. I mean, the piece was beautiful. The original Burt short, which was viewed over 100 million times, won a Webby, kind of all this critical acclaim. Maybe it's not just that it's a beautiful piece, which it was. It's There's a story here. There's an IP. People can hook onto the mythology. People are getting this image tattooed off of a Facebook video. We had many people get Birch tattoos. And what is so the Birch really, in a nutshell? Uh, the Birch is a – the Birch is a – maternal monster that protects the innocent the birch is all about protecting people who've been picked on 
and getting vengeance on their behalf because they're perhaps too meek or they've been traumatized and she's a she's a vengeful maternal figure who also happens to be an eight foot tree monster with a I was gonna say, tree, I knew there was a tree involved in there okay so that yeah the key mike when you're pitching anything i think in creative especially when you're pitching scary is you save the niche part of it for the very <laughs> end you know you say this is a story about a mother who didn't protect her child so now she wants to protect other children oh and by the way it's a horror monster that you know wraps up people in its vines. Right. Because otherwise you might lose some people from the first from the get-go yeah. describing it that way. Okay. So that's that's going well. You start getting investment. Are you are you making money at that point? Are you are you Yeah, we had built an integrated marketing business at that point. We're making we've made we've made more money since then, but uh we were able to build an early advertising business because again, scary is a huge genre at the box office. So we've have uh incredible partners at Universal and Lionsgate and Sony and uh, so they want to reach horror fans. That's a natural way. Right? We are the place to reach uh, young people in, in an organic way and really who already have a predilection and affinity for the genre. So we had already built a business. We've obviously increased our, well, we've increased our marketing business since then. COVID has obviously knocked down uh, theatrical releases. Uh, but we had made some money since then. But obviously, the more the audience grows, the more you're able to reach people and provide value for your marketing partners. Okay, so that's that's going well. And then, what are you? How how connected are you with 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 Blumhouse? And are those guys trying to you know shape, helping you shape your content output? Are they really just you know helping you get the company off the ground? Like, how connected are you with them, or do you want to be? Jason Blum is really an incredible business innovator, and I know it's not maybe the most unique take for someone to come praise their investors but the guy really deserves an incredible amount of praise so the first thing i have to say is as a young ceo as a young person trying to build a business and succeed in the media space having an investor who's not only done it but continues to do it and continues to further their business and push the envelope is super uniquely valuable we worked out of the blumhouse office for the first two years of the company and while part of that motivation was, you know, we didn't have a lot of money so we could shack up with them, it really made a huge impression on me. And I would like to think it made an impression on Crypt to be close, to be in such close proximity, literally exist with a company that's, that, that's doing it at the highest level, that's thinking of creative at the highest level, that's known for trying to make more with less. So that's the first thing. It's made a huge impact just having the relationship with Jason. And I talk to Jason every week. Um, he gives us help on creative endeavors. We talk about partnerships. We do want to be linked with them. You know, we have to build the Crip brand and we have right. to make sure that's that- I, That's kind Crip, of what I was wondering. Like, do you, how much do you want to be their brand or not? I would say it's 50-50, Mike. I would say it's 50-50 because if, how big can the company be if it's a sub-brand of Blumhouse? I mean, Blumhouse is really big, so that's good. Blumhouse kills it. But we want to be our own brand and we want to have our own- voice with not just consumers but in the business to business marketplace you know blum sells that show to amazon welcome to the blum house because he's got a brand and because it's amazon you know knows that this guy's brand is gonna he's gonna create great stuff and his brand can bring people to amazon to watch great genre movies and they just they've been releasing these really good genre movies uh on amazon this month so we want to work with them because they're the best you always want to work with the best but we also have to be cognizant of how we're different and build a unique brand so I would say it's you know it's give and take. I would say that we're lucky that we have Jason as a partner, and then it's also on us to truly distinguish ourselves in this space, but not just distinguish ourselves from Blumhouse. That's where people's minds go because they're an investor, but distinguish ourselves from 
anyone else, right? You know, it's not only scary content makers that make scary content, you know? I mean, LeBron James optioned uh, Friday the 13th, right? Like, how do you build your own brand just for the sake of building your brand? Okay, so you're if you're going to describe, is there is the Crip viewer... I'm going to guess younger than the average horror fan, maybe. Uh, more, oh, yeah. I mean, our, core, our core demo is 13 to 25, and it skews a little more male than female, but it depends on the IP. We have some IPs that obviously skew more female. And when I think about what we're doing in the TV and film space, which is a lot of where the business is going in the short term uh, and medium term, uh, and I guess hopefully long term, it's just long term, you really hope that you're monetizing all your characters across the wheel. But when I think about where the crypt business is going short-term and medium-term, you have to have a brand even when you're making stuff for Netflix or Amazon or Hulu or HBO Max or Peacock. There's so many great streamers, Facebook Watch, who we obviously have a relationship with. Um, you have to have a brand. You know, you have to have a brand. And a lot of times, brand means just excellence, right? When people market Jordan Peele as an executive producer – he obviously has like a certain type of creative he gravitates towards, but it's just like, hey, this is Jordan Peele. He it's going to be good. I, know, I trust this guy. Gonna, he makes excellent stuff. So I give that answer of saying that Crips young audience and the fact that we were born on YouTube and Facebook and we were raised by having an interactivity with our, uh, our, our audience, the way that affects the company, the TV movie space, as well as in everything we do is – we have to speak to the values that 13 to 25-year-olds care about. That's where we can understand that consumer, hopefully better than anyone else can. So when I'm thinking about what we want our brand to be and what our number one audience means, it means what's top of mind for 13 to 25-year-olds and how can we infuse their passion into the types of scary stories we tell. So does that mean do they like something that's when I you know uh, do they like uh, horror movies? But this is this is going to be an alternative or a smaller version of that, or is it? Are you going for something that really resonates differently for that for that demographic? I'm going with stories that are about questioning authority and not believing in the status quo and not believing in institutions, not just trusting institutions. For Those their are teen themes that like are, are common. I think you know when you look at Gen Z, um, and this is also true for millennials, but I really think it's Gen Z especially. And then you know we're going to have Gen Alpha after them. I think it's I think it's people demanding change, man. I think it's you know people who are so morally and emotionally conscious at such a young age. You know, I'm 29. When I was 17, like I was like, you know, I was like, yeah, Obama, that's great. That's that's as far as I thought about politics, right? And then you have 17-year-olds now who are just who are really thinking so deeply and consciously about so many issues across the spectrum of humanity and the spectrum of life in America and life abroad that you can't BS this 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 generation and you know, the types of ideas that they're injecting into the national conversation are really, really creative. So if our content doesn't match that, well, then what advantage do we have over everybody else? Other content producers are probably better capitalized than us. They have been around longer. They have better relationships. Our advantage has to be that we truly can speak to this audience because we have done it every day on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, TikTok uh, for years. And that we have to apply that into everything we do. Right. Yeah. Har has always been really good at reflecting uh, th some of those big societal changes and themes, even even if it's a kind of a, in a subtle manner. So that makes a lot of sense. Go back. Okay. Let's go back. You you're you're blowing up on Facebook. You start doing Facebook watch shows. Maybe can walk me through the progression of you, you, when do you start doing things for all different platforms? What are you learning? You know, it probably wasn't until. 
I forget. So Birch came out on Facebook Watch October 2019. So that probably means, I'm thinking backwards, that probably means middle of 2018 we knew we were doing it or October 20. I, I forget exactly. And it shows what a great CEO I am that it took us actually selling a TV show to realize that maybe we should be in the TV business. Like I really hadn't thought it through as well as I should. And I say that because it's true. And also to remind myself that, hey, there might be an opportunity staring you in the face that you're missing in your business or your well, life. A lot of, a lot so of it, creators don't want to pretend that they've, um, or they don't want to say, say, Oh, long, I've been trying to get on TV. I wasn't really serious. Mm -hmm. Like you probably want to be true to your, we, yeah, well, but, but that's not right for Crypt. That is right for David Dobrik, right? But it's not right for Crypt. And even David Dobrik, I think, probably would take his you know late night show on NBC when they offer it to him. You know, we are able to reach people without anyone's permission on YouTube, right? We can just make our character, build it. But we completely want to make shows with Netflix and broadcast TV and cable TV and Peacock and Hulu and everyone, right? So, and we've loved working with Facebook Watch. We uh, love our slate with them, and we have more shows coming out. And I can't announce it yet, but we will be able to announce that we have shows on other streaming platforms uh, coming out soon and deals to announce soon. Those aren't only around our IP. We're also rebooting a lot of IP, which I'm really, you know, I think it's public that we are rebooting, reinvigorating 13 Ghosts, which is an old Screen Gems IP with Screen Gems. We have a few other announcements in that vein to come, and that's when I talk about the Gen Z influence, right? Because we can take our young company DNA and apply it not just to our own monsters, but to rebooting classics or reinvigorating classics in a way that's really relevant to young people. And of course, we'd want to do that through streamers. So I think it just depends on the business you're in. But the TV business is a really good business for us because we run our own production, right? And we run scripted production. So being able to bring the IP, be the production company, the fact that we have examples and experience of being production company in this space. We feel like we really can be category experts. So that's what hopefully for us is providing value to streamers and the value they provide to us is they reach a lot of people and you get paid to make the shows. So uh, I'm certainly, we're in the TV business. We want to be in the TV business more and uh, that's what I'm working on every day. When you do TV though, is it simply taking what, you're, what works on Facebook or Instagram, let's say, and making it longer and more expensive or is it you, do you take a totally different approach it's totally different i mean tv you know let's just say that you have a you know 10 episode uh season and it's uh you know hour episodes and it's 10 episodes it's way different building characters you know the way you have to build characters over the course of a season and slowly pull that thread and introduce plot twists and the way you chart out a season is completely different completely different what i would say and what I hope to be the case is that Crypt can be a really successful TV producer because we can take the best of digital that we've learned. And we still, you know, we'll be making digital stuff and do, but we can take the best of digital that we've learned about how to hook people's attention and how to make really compelling visuals. That we can take the best of what we've learned that give us a very distinct brand and very distinct vision and very distinct voice and apply it to the things you really need with great television storytelling, which is all based on the characters and how you can create really compelling characters over the course of, you know, 600 minutes and then longer and longer and longer. You know, you said something interesting about trying to make really compelling attention grabbing content on social and mobile platforms. There's been a lot of debate about this. 
I think you and I both tweeted about Quibi and, and whether people, mm-hmm. now they, they've been sort of a case study for whether, do people want scripted, like engrossing short form? Does that make sense? And I don't, you know, I, I wonder if you have thoughts on that. Cause I think, I think the, the conventional wisdom is like, no, that doesn't make sense, but you're seeing that you're obviously seeing people. I mean, Netflix has yeah. scripted compelling short form. I mean, you look at uh, love death robots on Netflix or end of the fucking world, or even I'm not okay. Uh, that Netflix show and, those shows do really well. I mean, I, and, and those are really good. I think, you know, the issue with Quibi, it's a combination of barrier to entry, right? They obviously added another barrier to entry, which is a new streaming service. Yep. Not easy. To pay for that. You have to download. You look at what Peacock has done. Peacock, it's free to watch Peacock. And then, you know, they're going to eventually try to move you into that pay tier, but it's free to watch Peacock. And you look at HBO max, HBO is a really huge established brand. So I think with Quibi, it's just they tried something really hard. You know, they tried yeah. something really hard. Uh, they tried something. They had to build a new brand from zero brand awareness that you also had to buy that you could also only watch in one format. Right. When I'm watching Peacock or Netflix or HBO Max, I can watch it here on my laptop. It's pretty easy plugged in with my Apple TV. And I could also watch it on my phone and download the app. So they had they started with only one entry point for a new uh, brand that you had to pay for. So that's just, that's a tough entry point. That's tough. But in your mind, that doesn't mean that people don't want to watch you know engrossing stuff in bites like that in different places. Well, look, when we're making stuff, our Facebook watch shows are more traditional TV length. They're twenty minutes. I think it's I think there's an incredible amount of data that shows people like to watch short form programming. And if you're Netflix, you know, if you're Netflix, you you, you know, you, they always want new users. But in North America, Netflix has got a lot of users in North America, right? So the motivation for them to create short form content might not be that, oh, this is going to add 10 million new subs. It might be this is going to delight the people we already have in the way they're going to discover it. So, again, it all comes down to a question of just where you are in the life cycle of your company. Um, are you going to be able to attract the users you need to fit the unit economics you have on just short form. I don't know. That's tough. But if you're Netflix or Hulu or Amazon, like you have a lot of people, you also want to delight the customers you do have. And obviously there's a, a, you know, a huge example. I mean, you just look no further than YouTube to see how much short form scripted and non-scripted content compels people. Yes. YouTube is free, but Netflix is free in your head. If you're already paying for it, if you're already paying for Netflix for stranger things, uh, and then something pops up, it is essentially free to you because you're not canceling your subscription. Right, why not? Let's get yeah. some more. Tell me about, okay, where is your business now in terms of like licensing, advertising, making money from the platforms? What, what does it look like? So, you know, we have a, a, an ads business. The ads business has been disrupted a little bit by COVID. We can mark, we, we do market titles for Hulu and Netflix, but, you know, we had a big bread and butter of marketing every scary movie that comes out and how many scary movies come out uh, 52 weekends a year you got like 26 slots right and so we hope that that's back but you know i'm basically giving you the normal time vision the normal times vision is there's an ad business and then there's the tv licensing business which is really good which pushes the majority of revenue uh you know we have this slate deal with facebook watch that we love we're about to announce some new shows that we're making and you know sometimes we're just a passive producer where we are a producer, but someone else is running production and we're just paid as a non-writing producer. And then we have shows where we are running production, which is great because then you get to run production and your production services in addition to being uh, a, a producer and, and, and working on the creative and development. And then the merch business is is really small and the live events business is really small. 
And, you know, we had some really fun stuff planned this October if there wasn't COVID, but there was. So maybe October 2021, we'll look towards kind of getting back into that live event thought. That's a, that is a bummer um, mm-hmm. for, for many, many reasons. What um, what have you seen? Speaking of the pandemic, have you seen anything interesting happening with viewership? Anything unexpected? Different? Yeah, things will pop off. I mean, I think it's kind of like there was that kind of crazy March, April where people were seeing really crazy trends in March and April. And now it almost feels like things have normalized to an extent as we've all kind of normalized our, our COVID habits. But I think what you've seen, what we've seen in crypt is a microcosm, I think, of what you probably are seeing in the world, which is our best monsters, the YouTube videos that, and I don't know if this is YouTube algorithm type stuff, but the stuff that was doing really well that had a lot of viewers is attracting more, and the stuff that wasn't performing as well is doing even worse. All the energy goes to the winners, and I, I think you're seeing that in you know the economy at large right now, right? Not just the entertainment economy, right? Where uh, the big get bigger and, and, it, and it's really hard, uh, for stuff that's not already got some establishment to it. Right. And are, have you been able to make stuff or are you, have you been, we're frozen? making stuff. We've, uh, we've wrapped two shows in COVID. We're in the middle of a third right now. So we're making stuff. It's hard. It's a lot harder. I mean, you got to keep everyone safe, but you also have to keep everyone safe means you have to change the realities of a lot of creative Right, you got to change the reality as a creative, and there's a really good Wall Street Journal piece that came out last week that I thought summed up a lot of where the production business is, which is certain scenes you're not making as much. There's a lot of cost that comes with COVID tests. I think we all are happy to pay that cost because as producers, we want to keep everyone safe first and foremost. But if there's new costs on the books, that means you know, well, how do we adjust? Right. So it's a it's it's it, it's a moving target. And it's a moving target because every state has different regulations around COVID, right? Wow. Yeah. And, you know, in California, where I live, different counties have different regulations, right? So you can drive 20 minutes one way. So it is a constant moving target. And I think the question every producer is asking themselves is, how much should we lean into being a COVID production company? Because, hey, is, is this going to be how we have to make content for two more years? Or is on, you know, March 1st, everything goes back to normal and no one has that answer. Like none no. of us know, but obviously how you sell yourself as a production company when you're taking out shows today, which everyone is right. You think about that. You mentioned, you know, the, the how the, the ad business has been changed, obviously for what's going on with the movie business. Can you, are there brands coming to you that you can, that, that want to have you make content for them? Are there other categories you can go after? You're not, I don't, I don't imagine you're big in the, programmatic space where they're no, other- we are not i mean look scary's tough mike scary you know like you have we, there's a really good business there with hey we are universal we are sony we are paramount we are releasing this scary movie you have it right yeah. it's hard to squeeze salad dressing into a lot of these plots i'm, I'm so say. i think that was you know the suddenness of covid is probably what impacts for at least us i can't speak for other people right before COVID, there's not a huge motivation to go like try and sell someone who might have angst about the genre versus making sure you're really delivering for the many time repeat customers. I mean, we've done double digit movies for a uh, double digit marketing, a number of marketing campaigns for so many of these studios. And these are your clients and these are your partners and you've built a real rapport with the people who work there and understanding what they want and how you can deliver it. So I would say, I would say, you know, Maybe there's new business searching we can do, but right now we're having a fun time 
making television shows in COVID and that takes up a certain amount of energy. All right, let's let's wrap here on are you guys doing anything special for the Halloween time for yes, programming? Yes, we're going to do a and digital Halloween. Do? So we have a lot of great guests, great YouTubers, great traditional stars in the genre world. So we'll do a digital Halloween on Crypt's YouTube channel. We'll try and excite our audience. And I think being in the entertainment business, to answer your question in a broad sense too, you want to try to bring joy and excitement to people, right? Like, you know, I think being in entertainment, you can sometimes forget that your job is to really excite people because it becomes a job. It becomes yeah. something you got to do every day. It becomes something you got to do every day and you got to wake up and you got to do your emails. You got to do your calls. You get yelled at. We we're all have this happen in our jobs, no matter what our job is. And then you try to, for us around doing a big fun digital Halloween on our YouTube channel. It's like, yo, this stinks. People love Halloween and they're not going to get to experience it in the same way that they're used to. So how can we, bring some joy to people and maybe have some fun and do some type of event. Um, you know, that, that, that's, that's, that's kind of partly what motivates you in times like this is re- getting to remind yourself that the job of making entertainment is to bring people entertainment. So we're going to do that on digital Halloween on Crips YouTube, but I would say just speaking on behalf of a lot of people in the entertainment industry, you make stuff for the people. And, now more than ever, you want to excite people emotionally with creative. Yeah, God knows people need it. Um, are yeah. you dressing up? I'm dressing up as a stressed, not even balding anymore, just bald, a stressed, bald uh, entrepreneur who's very ready to see 2021. That's interesting. I'm dressed as dad who stopped trying a while ago. Dad so who stopped trying a while ago? Well. It's working for me. You and me, I'll be true to our costumes at the very least. <laughs> All right. Well, awesome conversation, Jack. Thanks so much for your time here. Thank you so much, Mike. It's always a pleasure to chat, buddy. A big thanks to my guest this week, Jack Davis, co-founder of Crypt TV, and of course, my partners at AppsFlyer. If you like this episode, please take a moment to rate and leave a review. We have lots more to bring you, so be sure to hit that subscribe button, and we'll see you next time for more on what's next in marketing. Thanks for listening.